With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 59 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, January the 22nd, 2023. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everyone who tuned in last week with our guest, Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible, as he explained the BWIC process and rationale in some detail. If you have any questions about how the process works, feel free to go back and watch that episode as again, he goes into some great detail on the whole bids wanted in competition process and why they're implementing it on collectible. But let's get to this week's guest. He is Mike Kantz. Mike, welcome back to Collectible Live. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Mike, um, you know, collect. this is episode 59. I checked my records. You were our guest on episode number two. Uh, about a year and a half ago now. How, how have you been over that time? Yeah, been been doing great. Just kind of sticking with the same old, same old. And, uh, you know, it's it's been going great. So good, good. to be back on. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Get to sit down with you again, albeit virtually. Let me ask you this. Before we get in and take a look at the various items, assets that are uh, part of the BWIC process this month in January, the inaugural BWIC, um, any high-level observations comments you can make on the on the sports cards the collectibles hobby uh the business the industry what have you it's been a year and a, it's been a year and a half like i said since you've been on the show anything that comes to mind quickly about what has happened over that time yeah i mean it's it's obviously no surprise that things are not as uh not as expensive or, or the market's not as good as it was about a year year and a half ago but you know i, I think it's it's a healthy correction and it's, it was bound to happen. So, you know, a lot of stuff might've been overvalued at the time and now it's kind of coming back down to a more realistic price, but yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely the biggest change in the market from when I was last on the show. Um, but it, it seems like, you know, the goat stuff is still what it is. Obviously it's not as high as it was like everything else, but it, it's still just as desired as it was about a year and a half ago. And, you know, you still have your, your hot rookies and everything. It's just, it's kind of like this, the market's in the same spot in terms of like cards being hot cards going up. It's just the level is now from here to here. So you, if you yeah. can adjust and play on that new level, then uh, it could feel like it was a year and a half ago, just not as expensive. Right. So, so the, when you did this motion, you're like the values were here. Now they're down here sort of across the board on, on average on, on an index level, if you will. What about, you know, you're in the business of buying and selling card singles. What about the volumes? How have you seen the volumes of trade? And you're very active at card shows as well. How have you seen the volumes change? Are they, have they gone from here to here to the same degree that, that prices have, or have they remained more level? Yeah. So a lot of it is, uh, to answer the question, I would say that the volume has has slowed down, but I think a lot of that is some people just aren't willing to move their cards at the new prices because the reality is right now a lot of people are, are going to be losing money on their cards if they had bought them in that range about a year, year and a half ago. So the volume is down because some people just don't want to take that loss and therefore there's less things for sale at shows or, or dealers might be harder to deal with because of their entry point on the card. So the volume is, is definitely down. Um, you know, it's, it's still a pretty steady, consistent volume for us personally, but I mean, obviously it was way better 
in terms of volume about a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate the comments. Well, let's uh, let's jump in and get into the bids wanted in competition that is actually going to be uh, opening on the collectible platform in 56 minutes. The inaugural BWIC uh, group of assets, 56 minutes until the the initial uh, bids and group bids can be can be submitted under the qualifying round. So, uh, the, and there's a lot of, uh, I'll call it nuance as to how this process works. And if there's any questions on that, you know, I don't think Mike is, Mike is an expert on how it works. I'm not either, but I do have some resources available if we want to take a look at that. But we're going to start by looking at what's, what, what assets have been, uh, have been entered into the process here. And uh, we've got several sports cards. We've got a few that, that Mike and I are, are not experts on. But I'll tell you what, I played my share of Super Mario Brothers back in the 80s. So I feel like I can talk a little bit about that and probably the comic books at all. So welcome, everybody to the show glad to have you feel free to put your comments questions in the chat as we make our way through it couple so far sports md good evening to you and mod cult are here letting it be known that they are with us so guys thank you very much for that all right so let's uh, let's do this mike we're going to share the screen here and uh you can see right away right off the bat everybody the inaugural bwick january 2023 opens in 54 just under 55 minutes and I'm just going to scroll through, Mike, and let's start by talking about this, what is really a stunning 1952 Bowman. Uh, it's in an SGC 10 holder, Mickey Mantle. So this is not his 51 Bowman rookie, nor does this, it is, is it his 52 tops rookie. But from my estimation, it's got to be a top four, three or four Mickey Mantle card overall. I love it. Mike, what are your thoughts on this card? Have you traded in this card over the years? And how important is it from your perspective? Yeah, so I, I've owned a bunch of copies of that card, the highest being a PSA 8. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, it's not the 51 Bowman. It's not the 52 Tops, but it still is basically uh, one of the first three Mantle cards produced. So, I mean, it has that significance. And then you also have it just being the year 1952, I think a lot of people hear 1952 and Mickey Mantle just because of the tops card. I think that helps it a lot. But to see that card in an SGC 10, really, really never see it any higher than eight of any company. So, you know, just the chance to get that, even if it was a, a later 50s or early 60s mantle, once you start talking about a gem mint copy, there, there's crazy demand. Yeah, it, it, I love, I just love the the image and it's an image that, you know, you don't see as often out there. Obviously the 52 tops mantle image is, you know, it, it's, it's beyond iconic. It's likely the most iconic card in the whole hobby. His yeah. 51 Bowman flies under the radar because it's, it's a bit of a smaller card like this one is, but beautiful in its own right. And this, this card is no slouch at all either. In this high of grade, this is, I'm guessing it's the finest copy in existence on our planet. Uh, and that would include other planets as well. I'm guessing it's the finest copy in the whole universe. And um, so anyone who's looking to uh, make a play at this, well, now it will be your chance or your chance will be in about 50 minutes from now. Uh, let's move on to the second item, Mike. We have a, this is the 1890 to 92 John Ryder Cabinet Series. It's a Cy Young. And so cabinet cards have a, a long history in the hobby or a long ago history in the hobby. I'm no expert in them. I've never dealt in them, but I hear the vintage experts that I really respect and know well, um, you know, Leighton Sheldon comes to mind. He does a lot of business with these, with these uh, cabinet cards. So you look at it, you can tell it's bigger than a sports card and you can just tell by the size of the PSA label up here. Uh, it doesn't take up the whole slab like it does over here with this Mahomes that we'll get to next. But these are really, really interesting pieces of history. They're collectible. They definitely have value. Mike, do you have any experience dealing in cabinet cards? Yeah, I really don't. I've always stuck to just like the standard trading cards. <clears throat> but kind of like you said, from what I've heard and, and seen just of sales in the past, I mean, some of those cabinet cards can bring crazy, crazy money. Yeah, they remind me there's a set of hockey postcard type cards, uh, the Imperial Tobacco. I don't even know the designation of them, but they look a lot like the C55s where you'd have the, 
the George Vezina rookie. A lot of those those paintings came yeah. from those, and they're beautiful, highly collectible, a bit more of a niche collectible, but still important pieces of history. How about this next one here, Patrick Mahomes? I mean, I, I think he had a decent day today. This is his 2017 National Treasures laundry tag. RPA stands for Rookie Patch Auto. It's numbered one of one. It has an authentic grade by PSA, and the autograph has received a grade of 10. Uh, I'm going to turn this one right over to you, Mike, and just talk about this Mahomes card. Now, before I do, though, I want to set a bit of context. There are lots of Mahomes. There are parallels to this card, patches out of five, out of 20, out of 99. And then there's there's this is a one of one. So how important is this card amongst the rest of the Mahomes rookie cards that are out there? And how important and desirability how desirable is, is patrick mahomes these days yeah so the 101 national treasures of recent years there's always the 101 laundry tag like this mahomes the one of one that's the full nfl shield and then a one of one that's just kind of a really nice patch it's not a laundry tag not a shield but it's a really nice patch so the mahomes shield version of that card sold about a year year and a half ago for around four million i believe and obviously the shield is is a much better card, but you know four million is is a lot for a card. So, but you know on, on top of just the card itself or the rarity, I mean you look at Patrick Mahomes, he's he's in his fifth straight AFC Championship game, five years as a starter, and I saw a stat today that I think only like three other quarterbacks have played in more than than five championship games, it's like title com or conference games. So, yeah, just just aside from the car, just his his stats and everything. He, he's crazy. I mean, he, he's just so good. And what he was able to do yesterday with a, a sprained ankle just kind of adds to it. Yeah, so he's certainly uh, certainly relevant these days. And, you know, you mentioned that there's another one of one that comes out each year for the rookies and national treasures, and it's the NFL Shield uh, card. Yeah. Uh, well, this this laundry tag might be the best of both worlds. You get the mini shield. You can see it right yeah. here where my mouse is circling. You get the Nike logo, which that's kind of, I mean, Nike is iconic just in its own right. And then you get the, the laundry tag, the size and all that. So that's a pretty cool piece. Um, I have no idea what, a, what a, an item like this would command in today's market. But I guess part of the process of the BWIC and one of the benefits of the, of the BWIC process is price discovery so we're going to know more about that and i'm sure we will on this show review what happens with these items on a future episode want to quickly say hello to uh, jerry hodge good to see you and brendan ryan says i would think that sgc 10 1952 bowman mantle would bring between eight to ten million dollars wow that's a lot of money uh either way i'm sure that i'm sure that the consigner is hoping for a big amount like that uh, what do you think of that, Mike? Does eight to ten million is that is that is that within what you think might be reasonable, or is it way out there? What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't really know, but I, I would guess it's probably on the higher side. But you you really never know. I mean, the SGC nine point five nineteen fifty two recently sold. I, I think it was like twelve million <laughs> or somewhere around there. Um, obviously, much much better card, but. You never know when you get into those gem mint grades of, of certain cards. You never know who needs it and who's willing to go really strong for it. All right. Sounds good. Let's let's keep going here. So the next item is a 1939. This is a Superman number one comic. It's in a CGC 4.0 slab. Now, this is not the first appearance of Superman. That would have been in Action Comics which I think was a year or two earlier, or maybe earlier this year. Again, not an expert in comic books, but I did look at this item because I do find it fascinating. And I think to myself, what would I rather have if I, if I were a comic book collector, which I'm not, but you know, I'm tempted all the time. What would I rather have the first appearance of Superman in an, in an, a different, in a book that is titled other than Superman, or would I rather have the Superman number one? And for me, in all honesty, I'd rather have the Superman number one. It's his own book. It's dedicated to him. He's not just a character in a larger story with, with more and more characters. Again, I, I haven't read the Action Comics number one. I probably should. But I think that this might be, and again, I don't follow the comic book world in space, but my perception, which may be completely false, is that this is 
undervalued compared to the action comics. Uh, number one was Superman in it. I think it was the number one, the number one issue. I think this might be a bit of a, a sleeper in that space. But again, if I'm way out there, then I apologize to the comic book enthusiasts. Any comments from you, Mike, on Superman? And I mean, maybe speak, if you can, for a moment, just about his cultural relevance. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't know a ton about comics, but uh, to add to your point earlier, I, I would much rather have the book with with him on the cover that's featuring him versus if it was just something where he's mentioned and kind of like having a, a true rookie card of somebody versus an earlier card that might have three or four players or might be like a team card that they're, they're on. Um, but yeah, I mean, Superman is, is one of the early superheroes and, you know, kind of started off the whole thing with comics and, and growing and, you know, you have the, the movies that come out, the adventures, all, all that. And I think you kind of look back and, Superman definitely played a key role in what what it looks like today. Yeah, and kicking off the whole superhero genre from the beginning, definitely. And uh, I think he was right. At, he, I think he came in at the perfect time at, as being Superman and, you know, someone who is going to, you know, be there for the, the common person just, you know, at the time of World War II and all that. So uh, interesting piece. I'm curious to see what it goes for. And I would certainly love to be able to own a copy of that myself. In the middle here... We have none other than uh, the most famous, maybe the most famous Mario of all time. And I know I'm a hockey fan, so that would that would uh, kind of undermine Mario Lemieux. But I think the Super Mario uh, of of Mario Brothers might be the most famous of all time. And this is a this is a basket of three WADA graded Super Mario, the originals from the the Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, I think what I'm looking at, we have a grade of seven, seven point five, and eight. So. I do again another genre that I'm not a collector in, but I mean I would love I would love to dip my toes because I'm a human. I mean Nintendo is is nostalgic to me, Mike. I grew up in the '80s and I got my first Nintendo, and I think it would have been about 1986. I'd had my wisdom teeth out. I was home from school for three days. I was puffed out like this because they were all impacted. And my mother bought me a Nintendo, and I mastered this game in like a week. And uh, it was uh, a ton of fun, super nostalgic. I love the artwork. I love how honest the artwork is on the on these Nintendo games versus the Atari. Atari Twenty Six Hundred had these amazing graphics, and then you opened, you turned on the game, and you you know it didn't look anything like the box. These Nintendo took a different approach, and they made it more honest from in terms of the packaging. Do you have any memories of this game? What does it mean to you? Yeah, so I I a um, couple of years younger, so it wasn't really as is popular there's a lot more video games out when when i was a kid but i i never really played a whole lot i usually stuck to like madden and, and a few sports games but i think part of the reason why those sell so so well is because of the nostalgia and a lot of people grew who grew up playing it like you were saying are now much older and can afford it to to buy a high-grade copy and I, I think a lot of it is just the nostalgia 100%. I think I think I think nostalgia is what drives a lot of the different categories of collectibles. You mentioned Madden. I mean, is that is, is a Madden game something that you would like to purchase, you know, maybe sealed or complete in box in a in a graded slab by Wada or one of the other companies that that grades video games and just kind of put on your on your bookshelf or you know, somewhere on display in your office, like, would you do that? Does that interest you for a game that you have nostalgia for? Yeah. I mean, that, that would be cool. I don't, I don't think the uh, years of Madden that I used to play would, would be worth a whole lot, but obviously nostalgia isn't always about what it's worth. So I, I think it would be cool to have some of that stuff. Yeah. The amount of, the amount of hours I put in, in our extra bedroom, uh, growing up in my family house, playing Nintendo, uh, I would definitely enjoy having a, like just along one of these shelves, a big row of these games uh, yeah. that I'd walk in and see every day. All right, let's move on to Bobby Orr, a little bit more in my wheelhouse. This is a 1970-71 Boston Bruins game-worn, photo-matched Bobby Orr jersey. We actually looked at this item when it was first offered under the fractional uh, platform on Collectible. And uh, it, this is an amazing, amazing piece of hockey history. I don't know, you know, if I were to think about 
the the most important <laughs> game worn jerseys in hockey. And maybe and and I'll start with hockey. Three names come to mind: Wayne Gretzky, obviously; Gordy Howe, obviously. I mean, Gordy Howe is also known as Mister Hockey. He has the trademark on that. And then Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr revolutionized the game, and a lot of people really consider Wayne Gretzky to be the greatest of all time, undisputed. But there is a generation of people who will argue tooth and nail with you that Bobby Orr is the greatest of all time, not Wayne Gretzky. So this is a game-worn Bobby Orr jersey. These do not come along very often. I think it's an amazing piece, and I'm not a game-worn jersey collector, but if I was, so it seems like this whole row here, Mike, all three of these items, if I collected these these categories of collectibles, these would all be at the top of my list, and that's just the way that's true. That's how good of a job collectible did on curating these first assets for the BWIC. So I'm impressed by this row specifically, and it touches three different things. But uh, Bobby Orr, Mike, talk a little bit about, you know, you're you're a card guy predominantly, but you you deal in some hockey cards. How important is Bobby Orr overall in the hobby? Yeah, I mean, Bobby Orr's rookie is, is one of the handful of hockey rookie cards that are extremely desirable. I mean, you, you don't really see a whole lot of hockey rookies that sell for much more than, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks in like a low mid grade, except for like a Gretzky, a Gordie Howe and a, and a Bobby Orr, you know, just, just what he did for hockey, like you were saying. And on top of that, the game worn space has, has really grown in the last year. So I think kind of as cards declined, people wanted to get into other things. And I, I think the game worn space was definitely one of them. And also if you look at like, if there were patch cards made out of that Jersey, if however many cards or, or crazy patches can be made out of that Jersey, like what all of those cards would sell for combined versus just having the Jersey kind of like, even if you had a shield, like you have a Jordan logo man that, that can sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you could buy a, a Jordan full game worn Jersey for probably in that range, maybe a little bit more. So you, you look at that and like the game worn makes a lot of sense in that aspect. Yeah. I mean, it, what you just said has me thinking like if the purchaser of this card ended up being say the upper deck company or another card manufacturer, and they were going to cut this thing up and put it into cards, I think there would be some uproar by the, by people, by game worn collectors saying what a waste of a perfectly intact Jersey, yeah. but only one person gets to, well, typically, um, except under the group bidding process, only one person ultimately may own this jersey and get to enjoy it. If it were to and make its way into, into hockey cards, they could be enjoyed by a couple hundred people. But uh, that's a whole other topic. We won't go too much into, into that. And, um, I, and based on what this thing will sell for, I think, I think this, this item is extremely valuable. I don't want to put out any guesses because I really don't have the experience. And I don't want to, I don't want to uh, you know, taint or... or have any influence over what people might think this is worth because I have no idea. So I, I'm just going to keep my guesses to myself, but let's, uh, let's go to the next, the next group here. All right. This is, this is a really cool grouping and I'm kind of being surprised as I see these, I looked through them. I looked through them before, but uh, I didn't look in detail. So the first item we have here, Mike is the 1935 national. And how do you say this national chickle Chicle? How do you say it? I've always said chickle. Let's but go with that. We have a no, 1930 Spanish. It's it's chicle. Chicle for the that's that's the. I've always said chicle though. It might just be because that's how it looks like. It's, but based off the spelling. Yeah, we'll go. With, we'll go with national chicle for now. <laughs> so the 1935 national chicle SGC eight Bronco Nagurski. This card, I mean, this card looks super clean from here. The corners, the edges, the centering. This, I mean, this is a fantastic specimen. This card has been on the Mount Rushmore of football cards ever since that first Mount Rushmore series came out. Uh, I, I believe headed by Joe Orlando at the time was the CEO of PSA. And this, this is among the most important football cards of all time. It might be the most important football card of all time. If not, it might be second only to the card that was made from this image here, this type yeah. one photo of Jim Brown. That is the image from the Jim Brown I believe it's the 58 top, 57 or 58 tops rookie card. Yeah. And I can tell right away by looking at it, this is the image from that card. So here you have what might be the most important football card of all time. And right next to it, you have the original image from what the other card that might be the most important football card 
of all time. Have you have you ever dealt in this what is a very rare uh, Bronco Nagurski 1935 National Chickle card? Yes, I've only owned one or two of those cards, and it, it's been a few years since I've owned my last one. And I believe it was like a, a PSA one or two, and I remember selling it for a couple thousand dollars. So I can only imagine what it would bring in an eight, especially with that kind of appeal. Oh, this but is, yeah, yeah like, like you were saying, I mean, that that is such an iconic football card. I also feel like it, a lot of people don't even know about that card just because it's so rare and you don't see them trade that often that some people just might not even know that it exists or the significance of it other than yeah. the, the diehard vintage guys or the, the diehard hobbyists. Agree. I agree, agree with that. I, I can't stop looking at it. It's so beautiful. The colors haven't faded at all from what I'm looking at, from what I can see here, which is pretty much what you guys can all see. Yeah. He looks like, he just looks like a super intimidating guy. And it's almost the way this card, what the image was laid on the card, it looks like he's just about to jump off and, and, and attack, you know? I, I love the card itself. It's just such a great art piece, as far in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about the Type 1 photo, the Jim Brown. Another, another category of collectibles that I hear a lot about. We've had several uh, Type 1 photo, uh, photograph collectors on collectible live in the past over the 59 episodes we've had two or three people on who really collect these things and love them they're very cool i'm not a collector of them uh, i've thought about it but i haven't i haven't dipped my toes in but this is uh, this is just an amazing image because it, it to me it's like imagine having the original image of the wayne gretzky rookie card or the or the the image that the mickey the 52 tops mickey mantle was painted of, or even the one right to the right of the Jim Brown. We have the 53 Mickey Mantle. That was a painting likely from an image and how cool would it be to have that image? What if, What is your perception, uh, Mike, on the whole photograph collecting category these days? So I, I don't understand the market on those too much. So I, I can't really add a whole lot, but I would imagine that there's probably not very many, if not, any others of that photograph that exist. So I think, I think some people really like the rarity factor there that, you know, this is one of the only few in existence of this photograph. And this photograph is the reason for the iconic card behind it. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's the coolest part is that that card is so iconic. It's so <laughs> beautiful. I, I own a copy. I have a, I even own a painting of, of, a, of the card that just hangs over on, in my rec room over there. So I'm a huge yeah. fan of the Jim Brown. Yeah. And I, th I think like nowadays too, because it's so easy to look online and pull up any picture of anything that it, it maybe takes away some of the luster of, of how important that item really is. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes down to education and due diligence and really looking into these things. And then of course, immersing yourself in the space, in the community and getting a, you know, just getting the education and collectible live is a great place for that. If I might say so myself, because we do dig into these various categories with experts in these categories. And then of course, you know, other platforms, Instagram is a great place to link up with, with people. I've seen that really happen with, in the magazine, the graded magazine community lately. There's some awesome people in that in that in that uh, community who are very active all right let's let's look at this card here so this is the second year tops mickey mantle it's the 1953 i've often in my own mind mike i always i thought listen a 52 tops mickey mantle probably out of my range maybe i'll go for the 53 because look at it it to me is as visually appealing as the 52 the only difference is the the level of iconicism it's just it's just you know, a notch below the 52 tops, but is certainly iconic in its own right, certainly important in its own right. This particular copy is in an SGC 8 holder. It's offered in this first round of the BWIC, uh, the BWIC offering on the collectible app. Mike, tell us a little bit about, you know, how does the 53 tops mantle? What is What demand do you see for it in your business, in, in, in your circles, relative to the, the other ma important mantle cards, including this one right up here, the 52 uh, Bowman and, and especially the 52 tops, where do you see it kind of uh, fitting in? Yeah, I definitely see it up there. Um, you know, you see that card, the card's not particularly a, a super rare card, but what is super rare with that card is to find it in a grade higher than a six. I mean, you, you see like the bottom left corner has the, 
the red where it says his name and that that usually gets all chipped up and the back of the card has color border color borders and color on the back which is really fun the chipping so to really see that card in high grade is is kind of crazy but also something to consider is that mantle only had a 1954 and 1955 bowman card he doesn't have a 1954 tops or 1955 tops he has the 1956 and on so yeah i think that's pretty cool too in itself that it's it's his second earliest tops card and then you you kind of skip 54 and 55 and then go from 56 on ah see and i i wasn't even uh really aware of that so that's a nice little tidbit of information. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, before we go to the next row, very quickly, Brendan Ryan made the comment, good company there. I think he was just talking about this, this beautiful row of items, which I, I, I'm pretty much in love with. Went on to say in respect to who the goats are uh, and the comment I made that Bobby Orr is considered by many to be the greatest of all time, even compared to Wayne Gretzky. And Brendan says, I think generationally opinions would differ on the hockey goats. And I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Hudson said, this man is my spirit animal. Let's just say if I stumbled into a lamp, one of my wishes would be to, would be to meet MC sports cards for a day or to be him. Maybe is what he means. And good evening to you, Nick Martelli. Brendan Ryan says, well, there's the 54 red heart and Dan D. So some other less uh, popular items. Yeah. He, mantle. I but meant he that he like I meant like a top standard issue. I know he's got like the Bowmans and the Dandies, but a standard issue tops he doesn't have. Yeah, and I was with you on that. There, there's there's all sorts of other regional types and promotional items uh, for many players throughout the years that we just don't really bring into conversations as much, and maybe we should. Amish Dave Archer, I haven't seen this guy in a while, says Mike is an icon in the business. His golf game is also off the charts. All right. Thank that you. is not just... correct, but thanks, Dave. <laughs> Good to see you, Dave. All right, Mike, let's look at this next item, which uh, this I have nothing to say about, really. But but I will say one thing. This is a, looks like it's a 2021 Dragon Ball. Um, I don't even, I'm not sure. It's a complete set BGS 10 black label. So we're all, anyone in the sports card industry hobby knows that BGS 10 black labels are next to impossible. It's a, it's a super pristine, really. You've got four 10s for the four different subgrades. Uh, Dragon Ball Super. I've heard of Dragon Ball Z. I don't know what this. I don't want to click on it because it's it's a little bit slow sometimes when we start clicking through as we're live streaming. But um, this looks pretty neat. The art looks really nice. Uh, it's, it's not in my wheelhouse, Mike. Do you have any knowledge on Dragon Ball? Not really. I mean, I, I have a basic knowledge on Pokemon, a little bit of the other TCGs, but you know, just to have one black label let alone a whole set is, is pretty crazy there, there can't be more than maybe a handful of each one of those in, in the pop report yeah definitely a, 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 a an accomplishment to put this together and uh you know one thing i do know i do know is that i don't know uh i know that there are a lot of people that love this stuff i'm not one of them but the the tcg or what we the trading card game industry segment category of this hobby is maybe even bigger than sports cards on a worldwide basis so there's definitely a big audience for this and i think it's what this is really the biggest thing i take away from having the dragon ball lot offered in the in the bwick in january here is that collectible has curated this collection of assets to really touch on all the different category of collectors so i think that's a great strategy and I hope it works out. Uh, let's go on to the Bill Russell. This looks to be a 1964 Goodwill Tour signed jersey. So I'm guessing, and this is a guess that it's game worn from that tour. Uh, Bill Russell, I mean, we, we just lost Bill Russell last year. And uh, this is a seems to be a game worn signed jersey. Uh, Mike, what, what can you tell us about the Goodwill Tour if you're familiar with it? Or, or even just the, the demand for Bill Russell items in general? Yeah, not not too familiar with the Goodwill tour, but kind of like the Bobby Orr, you have a 70s or, or before game-worn, assuming that Russell's game-worn jersey. I mean, it's signed, which obviously helps. Um, you know, but, like, the demand for Russell is, is definitely there. I mean, his high-end market is is crazy. You look at some of his exquisite patch autos where where it's a really nice patch where it's not just, like, a single color or – 
barely two color. And I know I've seen plenty of sales of 0304 exquisite Bill Russell patch autos sell for 10, 20, 30,000. So it's, it's definitely cool to see that full, full jersey there, even if it's not a Celtics jersey. Oh, there we go for sure. You can hear me now, yeah? Okay. I, uh, I'm fighting a bit of a cold right now, so I, th- I think I just switched my mic so I can control it and you can't hear me coughing. I'm sorry if I was coughing over the show earlier. Okay, let's go on. The next item is another comic book. This is uh, issue, or I think it is the first appearance of Wonder Woman. And uh, I mean, I, again, pretty cool piece. Not in my wheelhouse. It's graded by C- CGC as a 7.5, Sensation Comics number one from 1942. So, this is an interesting comic to me. I First of all, I love the art on the front. I love the picture of Wonder Woman behind what looks to be the, the yellow sun. Now, this is kind of con- this kind of contradicts what we said a few minutes ago about the first edition of Superman, because this, this is not the first issue of Wonder Woman, but this is the first appearance of her on a different in a different book, a <clears> title <throat> titled other than her name. So still really cool. Um you know, Wonder Woman has had has had movies come out in in recent years with Gal Gadot, so it's relevant right now. What do you think of this of this item, Mike? Yeah, I think it's it's a super cool item. Again, not too familiar with the comic book market, but you know, any early comics and you you see a high grade. I know comics are a lot tougher to get high grades than cards are, especially since back in the day. I mean, everyone read them. And, didn't really keep them in pristine condition because no one ever thought that one day they'd be getting graded. So to see it in, in a seven, five is, is really cool, but yeah, I mean, kind of like we were saying with the Superman one, it's you know first appearance. Some people really like that and that's probably going to help this one sell really well. Yeah, no doubt. No. And I mean, it's a 7.5, which, you know, the, the Superman number one up above is a four. So this is, in much better condition from yeah. 1942. I mean, this this comic book had to have been read by at least one kid and likely that kid's siblings. You know, the fact that these things survive so long in this sort of condition, I don't know what this is worth in any condition, but I'm excited to learn. And uh, and I know that someone will be a proud new owner of it if it if the sale actually does happen. And that's one of the nuances with the BWIC is that the not every item offered will sell for sure. So that's that's a pretty cool. Uh, it gives a little bit of flexibility to both the buy and the sell side. All right, before we go on to the next ones, uh, Brendan Ryan here says, "When I see that incredible jersey, I ask how many sick cards will that make?" Goes on to say, "Cutting a jersey up to make cards is true fractional ownership, although it really it really isn't." And and the reason why I don't agree with that comment, Brendan, is and I know it's half half tongue in cheek, but it really isn't because once you split that up and put it out there into different pieces. It's not, it's not, no longer is it the same item. You know, you're, you, you can't put it back together ever again and have it and move it that way. Whereas with fractional, you can. That's a key distinction between the two. So I don't agree with the comment, but I, 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 I like it nonetheless. Nick Martelli says, that's like letting the evil inner thoughts win, Brendan. It's true. And he, Brendan says, you can't smell, you can't smell test comic books when they're slabbed. True as well. Nor can you do it with, with sports cards when they're slabbed though. So, all right, let's keep on going. Next three items. So here we have, we'll start off with this Super Mario 64 from the Nintendo 64, issued in 1996, graded a 9.6 with an A++ by WADA, one of the leading uh, video game graders and, and, and uh, encapsulators. And again, I mean, what, what else can we say about Mario? He is, as, he is likely as culturally relevant as... I mean, I'm going to say Michael Jordan. I mean, he, he might be the Michael Jordan of, of video games. And I believe the Mario uh, IP uh, franchise is one of the most valuable on the planet. I know, I think Pokemon is the number one most valuable IP on the planet as far as characters and, and that stuff goes. Mario might be number two. For all I know, he might be number one right now. Do you have any insights into that at all, Mike? I, I really don't. Um, but, you know, you look at like, Jordan for what he was for basketball, Charizard for TCG or, or Pokemon, and then Mario for video games. Those are all kind of like iconic. One of the first few names you think of when someone says video games or 
gaming cards or, or basketball players. So yeah, he, he's definitely everywhere. There's more than just a video game. You see people dressing up every year at Halloween. You see people wearing shirts. You see toys and like everything. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's certainly uh, culturally relevant, a term that I like to use when sort of explaining why an item might have value. Uh, next up in the middle here, one of my favorite cards in existence. This is a 1979 OPG Wayne Gretzky rookie card. It's in an SGC nine holder. Looks to be in very nice condition as nine would imply. It's in mint condition. I mean, Mike, this is a card that I have some expertise on. I've I've owned several copies, several. I've owned over 100 copies of this card over the years. You probably know you've owned more. You've been in, you've been uh, out there doing the card show circuit for quite some time. I've been doing it myself, and I've been doing it in Canada. So maybe I've had more than you. We can compare numbers later. But I absolutely love this card. It's not rare by any but by any means. Is the card itself rare? But in high grade, it is exceptionally rare to have one in a mint nine condition. I believe I don't know the population of the SGC uh, version of the or the SGC slab copies, but I know for PSA in a mint nine OPG, I think there's somewhere between like 90 and 110 of them. And there's only two graded higher in a PSA 10. And the last one I think sold for between three and four million dollars. So this is a great card. It's one of those cards like everybody wants, whether you collect hockey, even if you don't collect hockey, if you're a baseball collector, a basketball collector, you probably want a Wayne Gretzky rookie card in your collection as well. It's one of those cards that that just it it really exceeds the whole hobby or it it just it's one that that the whole hobby knows about it's up there to me with the with the Michael Jordan Fleer rookie from 1986 and i believe uh when PWCC recently went through and did its top 100 iconic cards it fell in the top 10 i think number 5 or 6 so definitely an important card mike how how what's your perception on the importance of the Wayne Gretzky rookie i i think it's arguably one of the most iconic hockey cards of all time. I mean, it's, it's not the most expensive when you're looking at, you know, a, a raw copy or a lower grade copy, but you know, you look at the Jordan rookie to me, they're on the exact same level. Um, you know, you kind of like the 52 mantle too, just, just iconic cards. And you know, I've owned a bunch of the Gretzky's, like you said, you've, you've probably owned more since you are in Canada and you've been, been around a little longer than me, but you know, that card, every time I've owned one, I, I get lots of interest in it. I move them quick, and I, I always look for another one to to replace it with. Highly liquid card for sure. All right, let's go on to the Tom Brady. So this is an interesting, an interesting piece. It's a 2000 Contenders Championship Ticket rookie card. It's in a BGS9 holder, and it's missing the signature and the serial number. So those are two attributes of the card that I believe are very important that are missing the autograph. Number one, um, we, we've seen several of the championship ticket. That card is numbered out of a hundred. And we've seen, I think I read a stat recently. We've seen 40 sales of that card in the last couple of years. So it's a card that went up in value very quickly over the last few years. And people decided to start cashing out. And, uh, but this one, the condition is great. It's in a Beckett holder. It's a, it's a nine, which is mint condition, but again, it's missing both of those things, the signature and the serial number. Mike, why do you know why it's missing these items? Where the, what, what's the story behind this card? Yeah, I would, I would assume that it was some sort of like factory replacement in case one was damaged back when they were, when they were live and or when the product just came out. So I'm pretty sure that playoff or, whoever owned the company at the time held those back and, you know, if someone pulled one and wasn't happy, they would send it in, destroy that and restamp and, and have that one re-signed. So that that's the most likely explanation. And it, it probably got out there in some sort of bankruptcy sale, like a lot of the other non-numbered and, and non-signed cards, but that by no means doesn't, doesn't mean that it's fake. Um, the, the cool thing about that though, is if it was signed, it would be so expensive, especially in a nine, which is the highest grade of that card. And not everybody can afford one of those cards signed, even if it is in a super low grade. So, you know, th this is an opportunity for someone to own the card, just not signed or numbered, but you still own the card. So it, it's, it's something, you know. And it might be 
the rarest of the three versions of the card then because this would be the third you have the championship ticket then you have the regular contenders auto and now you have this miss the one with the missing serial number and auto i i would guess and i think i'm I'd probably be right but i want to know if you agree that this would be the rarest of the three versions maybe not the most desirable but certainly the rarest do you agree yeah i mean for sure a, a thousand percent it, it would be the rarest i've only seen maybe one or two other ones that either weren't numbered or were numbered, but not signed. But yeah, I mean, there's a hundred signed ones. There's probably a few thousand of the non-numbered ones and there's probably less than 10 of these ones in existence. Yeah. Yeah. That was my thoughts. Uh, Very quickly back to the Gretzky here. Uh, Brendan Ryan says, you have to admit the more desirable Gretzky rookies, the Opeachy because Wayne Gretzky does have basically an identical tops rookie card. But yeah, Brendan is right. The Opeachy is more intensity, de- yeah. more desirable, uh, worth more. Nick Martelli says many Canadians like myself only desire the Opeachy over the tops, but you can't pass up the value you can get from the tops card considering the difference in price, which I do very much agree with. And Brendan says growing up in the 80s, the Opeachy was an exotic rarity to even be seen at the LCS or a card show. So obviously, Brendan is, is in the United States, and uh, that would make a lot of sense. Okay, let's go down to the next grouping here, the next row of three, which does contain my favorite item in the whole BWIC offering this month, which might surprise people because there's no sports card here. But before we get to what I'm referring to as the Superman card here, let's talk about the Roberto Clemente. This is a game-used bat. It's graded PSA DNA 9. It's from 1965 to 68. I mean, another another category of collectibles that I do not participate in personally, which is game worn memorabilia or game used memorabilia. But bats are super cool. I heard someone refer to bats as you know, if you were a warrior going into battle with your sword, your sword was your your means of of you know offense and often defense as well. It was your it was the it was the weapon you took to war. And I've heard people say that the bat is the baseball player's weapon that they take to war when they go to face off one-on-one against that pitcher who's standing a couple hundred feet away from them on the pitcher's mound. So, and I don't know, a couple hundred feet might be way farther than it is. How far away is the mound from the plate? I believe. How many? I believe it's 90. 90. All right. 90 feet away, 90 feet away. So tell us a little bit, Mike, to the extent that you dabble in game worn memorabilia or game. Yeah. Game worn game used game worn memorabilia. What is the importance of a Roberto Clemente game used bat? Yeah, I mean, just going back in into the '60s and '70s eras, it wasn't like it is today, where you know, a player might use a different bat every single game, or might use a different bat every week or so. I mean, it, it says '65 to '68. I'm I'm not quite sure if that's an estimate of when it was used, or if it was being used for those three seasons. But either way, I mean, like we said about the Bobby Orr, you look at a Roberto Clemente card, and if it had the full bat knob, what it would, you know, how how important that would be if it had the bat plate or just a, a straight bat relic, and you, you think of how many of those types of cards you can make out of that bat, it, it just makes that the full-size bat really interesting. Definitely. Really, really a cool piece that would display so well. Uh, for many people, the next item is the uh, what I think is the coolest non-sport card of all time: the 1940 Superman. It's card number one in a set filled with Superman cards. I don't know how big the I don't remember the size of the set overall. I think it's you know it's not huge. It might be right around a hundred cards, something like that. Um, but this is to me a card that's grown on me over the years. I would I I came very close to buying a copy uh, from Brady Hill at the national this past year in Atlantic city, when I went back on the last day to see him or the, I think he wasn't there the last day on the Sunday on the Saturday, it had, it had sold. So I went and bought a Babe Ruth card instead, but I really wanted to, to, I really want to acquire one of these. It's a PSA 6.5 X mint plus excellent to mint plus. Um, This is an amazing piece of history. You know, this to me, a card like this is how to, it's almost the perfect compromise for a sports card collector. Who's interested in, in in uh superheroes and and that that whole genre it's like what's better than that this is the the number one card of superman from 1940 his first appearance on cardboard for a card collector this is an amazing piece i'd love to own one mike have you ever had a copy of this card come through your your inventory 
No, no. I mean, I, I've seen the card a bunch of times. I'm, I'm well aware of it, but no, I've, I've never owned one before. I don't even think I've ever been offered one, but it is, it is really cool because it's kind of like that middle point between the card collectors and the comic collectors. It's kind of, it's, it's the crossover between the two. So if you like comics, but don't really do much cards, you can still buy that card and enjoy it. If you like cards, but don't do much comics, you could still buy that card and, and enjoy it. So it, it's cool to see that that's kind of like a, a middle point. Yeah, it's, it's I like how you said crossover. It's definitely a crossover item. And uh, that actually leads into this Steph Curry, James Fiorentino painting, another sort of crossover item where the sports card collector, the sports memorabilia collector, the art collector, the sports art collector. I think this item hits all four of those groups of, of enthusiasts. And... I just want to shout out the artist, James Fiorentino. I got to meet him at the Atlantic City National this past year at an event hosted by Collectible. Uh, and he he had they had several of his original artwork pieces on display during this dinner. We could go up and look at and look at them. He he spoke to the crowd, and uh his artwork is so realistic and so good. I I'm actually blown away by it. Now I am not an art enthusiast. I, I, I've bought art here and there over the course of my life, but I've never been a major hobbyist when it comes to, to original art. However, and, and not that I can now because these items are worth so much money, but he is likely the finest sports art sports artist uh, in the world as far as what, what I've seen, what I've heard. Some of that is, is just hearsay, but I mean, you know, people I trust. So this is a really cool piece. And... Um, I just think it's awesome. Have you had a chance to ever meet James, Mike, or see any of his work uh, in person? No, I mean, at, at the National and a lot of trade shows, I always see a lot of sports art. And chances are I probably have seen his, his art at a show and just not known it was his. But, I mean, looking at that, the quality is just so good. And, you know, I'd, I'd imagine sports is a pretty big topic when it when it comes to art. I mean, a, a lot of art is of sports players or or different things like that so to be considered one of the best in the world at that that that's pretty outstanding it really is he does he does great work i'm curious to see and i was sort of asking around at that dinner like what's this stuff worth and the numbers that i was quoted i was like wow like that is serious serious money so i'm curious to see what this uh what what and if this sells if this sells what it does sell for we will see. I want to thank uh, Michael Hathaway for letting us know that the, the distance between the, the pitcher's mound and the batting plate is uh, 60 feet, six inches. So you were a lot closer than I was, Mike. And Nick Martelli says that Clemente bat, that's awesome. Some old lumber right there. Uh, Collector's Dream lets us know that Clemente game-used bats are very, very rare. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for the participation, everybody who we just looked at. All right, let's go on to the, the next. And I... Yeah, this is the we're, we're coming up to the end of the items up for bid here or up up for, up up for uh, Bewick. And the first one is another comic book. This is the Swamp Thing 1971 House of Secrets number 92. It's a CGC 9.8. Uh, looks pretty cool to me. 15 cent comic book. That's about all I can say about this. I am not even familiar with House of Secrets. Mike, are you? No, unfortunately, I'm not. All right. Well, I will I will refer anybody who's watching who is into comic books to go check out an interview that Ezra Levine uh, did just the other day uh, with Vincent Zerzulo from and I the name of his company is escaping right now, but a very well known comic book company uh, seller a, a selling company not not a manufacturer but a comic book dealership. Check out uh, the interview that Ezra did with Vince on the Collectible app YouTube channel for more on comic books. Let's move on, Mike, to this Patrick Mahomes. This is a 2019 Kaboom. This is a green version of a Kaboom, which are the one of ones. It's a BGS 9.5. Um, I mean, I don't know. Kabooms are have been all the rage for the last couple of years in the hobby, being kind of like this generation's uh, precious metal gems, if you will. And what I mean by that is like the most important or one of the most important inserts that there are in the hobby so this is actually a parallel of an insert which to me is the sweet spot i love inserts and parallels but give me a parallel of an insert especially a rare one i love that this has been a bgs 9.5 holder so it's gem mint condition mike you're more qualified than i am to talk about this card so let us have it what do you think yeah i think they 
they give off a lot of nineties insert vibes. You look at like the high voltage Jordan card, if you're familiar with that. And it, it kind of looks, looks a little bit like that, but kabooms have just been so popular since they came out in 2013. And now every year they're always desired and people buy products just to pull those. I mean, they, they usually come out of less important products and, the reason why people are buying them is for the kabooms, which is cool. And it shows the importance of it that people are, are buying it just for that. But to see a, a one-on-one, I mean, they're, I think they started doing one-on-one kabooms in 2018 or 19. So there, there's really not that many different Mahomes one-on-one kabooms out there as of yet, hoping they don't make one every single year, but yeah, it's just the Kaboom is just a really cool insert. It's probably one of the most popular football inserts right now. Yeah, definitely. And, and basketball, too, would be my understanding. Um, yeah. The other thing, uh, is right, basketball, too, or no? Yeah, they, they have yeah. Kabooms in basketball. Yeah. Which yeah. still do really well. They um, believe they come out of that Panini one-in-one product, which is a really cool product. and. I really thought that your your comparison to the high voltage, which is which is another because that that helped me understand just how rare some of these even a current insert can be when it comes out of a less popular like a by less popular I mean um, cheaper product, less expensive product that might be ha- might have more production. So just it just becomes that much harder to find these cards, and that was the story with the high voltage and the high voltage five hundred from that came out from the from a hoops product in 1996 or 97, I believe. So it's neat to know that this might be, uh, you know, this generation's version of those high voltage cards. And if anyone's curious to learn more about that, just go take a look uh, online. I'm sure you'll find something. A couple comments that came in uh, just a bit earlier. Benjamin uh, said here that Opichi are almost always lower population by far compared to tops. We're talking about hockey cards here with the Gretzky Opichi rookie that's coming up in the BWIC here, which launches in about five minutes now. Uh, he says, with more condition sensitivity, I find some great buys on Opeachy Vintage Baseball. And Nick Martelli wants to know, would it be plausible for some card companies to buy some of these items to use for relic cards? I don't know. That, you'd have to look into their, their business model. I just don't. I don't think so. Maybe. Yeah, not on the, the ultra high end stuff. Not, anymore. Yeah. On the newer players, it's easier to find. Definitely. And then Hector lets us know that this swamp thing, this this House of Secrets is... Or not this one here, the swamp thing. Where is the swamp thing? Was that this one that here? That was the house, yeah. That was this. The, oh, yeah, it says swamp thing up here. So this is the first ever, uh, I guess, appearance of swamp thing or re- re- reference to it uh, at all. So thanks for that, Hector. As you can tell, uh, Mike and I are not uh, that up to speed on the comic book uh, genre. Let's go to the final four items on the BWIC, which will be great because we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. And uh, right out of the gate, we have, speaking of, of kind of that high-voltage 500, which is a, a great insert from the 90s for basketball, Here's here are a pairing right beside each other of 1997 Ultra Stars Gold. They're both BGS 9.5s. On the left, we have none other than Michael Jordan. And on the right, we have Kobe Bryant. These are beautiful. Now, these images don't really do these cards justice. These cards have, I believe they have some embossing. They have some cool light refracting going on. I've never owned one, but I know how beautiful and desirable they are. This Michael Jordan card is one of his most desirable cards from the 90s, and that is kind of the what I like to refer to as the creative era. It's a great time for sports cards. Mike, tell us about you know the, the demand for Ultra Stars Golds for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I'm sure you have experience with these cards. Yeah, yeah. So you have the Ultra Stars, just the base version, which is more of a silvery card, which are very, very high in demand. And then you have the golds. And, and like you said, they are a little bit embossed and in person, they look much nicer than those scans show them to be just because of the way the light refracts and everything. But um, I actually saw there's someone on Instagram who likes to take the odds of cards or, or packs and kind of figure out, okay, this card's not numbered, but based off the pack odds, there were probably X made and they, they did do it on the ultra stars. And I want to say under a hundred ultra stars golds based off of the, the pack odds and how many cards in the set. So you look at, and if that card had a stamp out of a hundred on it, I feel like it might sell for two or three times what it does. 
Yeah, I saw I saw a Jordan Playmakers Theater sell a few nights ago for I think, and please forgive me if I'm wrong, but it was like close to two hundred thousand dollars, and that's stamped out of a hundred. So if this card were stamped, um, I could see it being easily up there. It's it's it it's as appealing as the Playmakers Theater, which is a card I love the looks of, slightly embossed as well as you'd know, Mike. So. Pretty yep. cool comparison you just made right there. Let's go on to this 2000 Ultimate Collection Signatures uh, BGS 9.5 Kobe Bryant. This is a one-of-one on-card autograph with a pretty cool image from up from above. Uh, and the Ultimate Collection has great pedigree as a brand. Mike, have you ever, I mean, has this exact card ever passed through your table? Have you ever seen it live? I mean, it's a one-of-one. Tell us about this card and the, the attraction towards it. Yes, I've I've actually seen the Jordan one one of that that same card, but um, you know something besides from the fact that it's an earlier Kobe auto and it's Gem Min and one one is that was the first year of Ultimate Collection, and I think that carries a lot of the weight of of why they sell so well. You look at like the first year Exquisite or the first year of um, of other key products, so I think that that's a big factor of of the card and. You know, just a clean auto, you know, with the eight, just really cool image and gem mint one one. It just kind of checks all the boxes. It really, it really, really does. Why does it, what's the meaning of the word super here? Signature super. I, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I know they have like a bronze and another parallel that I think one's out of 75, one's out of 25. So maybe that's kind of their upper decks way of, term of calling the one-on-one maybe it was like the super yeah yeah that was well before super fractors existed so i don't i don't think that they had any concern of people confusing it to be a super fractor no definitely definitely all right thanks for that so before we look at the very last item i just want to let everybody who's who's watching know that if you want to learn more about how the bids wanted and competition process works on the collectible platform go to the collectible website and i have this sort of uh, just teed up to show you, but it, it it's open. The thing opened a minute ago. So there's going to start to be some action on this. And if you go to this page on their website, it goes through what is, what is BWIC? Here's some FAQs, how to consign, how to bid. There's, there's even a little link to a video here on, on the process downloading. The, here's the catalog that we're going through right now. Some benefits of the, of the pro, the BWIC process how it applies to buyers there's there's individual bidding there's group bidding i'm not going to get into explaining that right now ezra came on last week and did that ezra's the ceo of collectible more information on consigners how to submit the assets and more of just the, how the process works there's four steps consigning quali- the qualifying round the final round and the conclusion and this is all explained in more detail up above so and here are some articles that have come out on it so far so feel free to go there and if you're on their email list which i recommend you are they sent this out just a few days ago and this goes through a few of the details in the timeline as well so check your old emails and uh, or get on their email list and make sure that you are keeping up with what's going on at collectible and this is a great innovative method and you know we'll see how it goes so i wish them all the best but with that let's go take a look at the final item that is in this first round of the BWIC on the collectible platform. And at first I looked at this thought, oh, is this a George Brett item? Then I look up, up, no, it's actually a Bo Jackson. And it's his 1986 Kansas City Royals rookie jersey. It's photo matched. Um, I mean, Bo Jackson is a guy who unfortunately doesn't have many amazing cards. He does have iconic cards. But by by when I mean amazing, what I should have said is he doesn't have very many extremely valuable cards, if any. I can't think of any really valuable Bo Jackson cards. Uh, and if you want, if you're a collector and a, a lover of Bo Jackson, and you want to have some nice valuable items of his, you might have to not you might not be able to look at sports cards. You might have to go to memorabilia, and this might be a great option for you. Mike, what is your perception of Bo Jackson's place in the hobby overall? And like what I was saying about the lack of, of high value cards. Yeah. He's, he's one of the few people to play in both the MLB and NFL or or just two major sports in general. And, you know, like you said, he doesn't have a whole lot of expensive cards and it, it might not be because he doesn't sell for a lot. It's more like, you know, his rookie card was, in the middle of the junk wax era. So you could buy his ungraded rookie for a couple bucks. 
And, you know, he doesn't really have like in, he was kind of in that weird period where there weren't a lot of high valued cards being made of players, just very select few. Um, but to touch on like the game worn jersey piece, there's there just can't be too many out there considering he didn't play in the MLB for for a crazy long duration. So it's cool to see a, a full game worn jersey there. Yeah, that, that's a great point you just made that his career wasn't that long. There's likely not a lot of items out there that you can collect and own and proudly hang in your basement, your your rec room or your, your restaurant or bar or whatever it might be. So this is probably going to be a very hotly pursued item, I would think. And uh, with that, that that concludes the the items that are uh, up for up for BWIC this month on collectible. And I am looking forward to being able to go through these items on a, on a future episode of collectible live and seeing what happened with these, what did they sell for? Did they sell? What did they sell for? And what, how were they purchased? Were they purchased by an individual bidder or by a group bidder? I can't wait to learn that. I think that'll help bring the whole process full circle and will really inform a lot of people on what to expect as we move forward and collectible moves forward with this BWIC product. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Mike, thank you for joining and giving your yeah. perspective on, on all of these, on all of these items throughout. Thank you to the chat for jumping in and providing some comments, some very interesting ones that Mike and I didn't know ourselves. And I want everybody to know that I will be back live in just under an hour and a half uh, covering the hockey auctions on the, on the PWCC weekly auction uh, with guest Josh Madigan of the hockey cards gong show podcast. So um, there we go. Uh, thank you again, Mike. Hope you yeah, thanks for having you. me. Yeah, yeah, you you bet. And thank you to everyone again who joined us. And uh, we'll be back on Collectible Live again next week. And with that, this episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.